Oftentimes, it's better to start with creativity to help you learn the facts. Life is too short to learn a, a list of a thousand rando words. From the campus of Stanford University, this is Schools In with your hosts, Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. Welcome to Schools In. I'm Denise Pope, Senior Lecturer with the Graduate School of Education here at Stanford, and I am with my co-host, Dan Schwartz. Dean of the Graduate School of Education. And I should say, because of COVID, we are not taping this from the studio. We are in our own respective places or offices, and our guest will be remote as well. So, Denise, I'm, I'm actually in the office. I'm, I'm the only one in the office, but it, it feels good. It feels wow. Good. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank also, you. you've got to give me a little name. It's like it's part of the I'm tradition. Getting okay. I'm getting there. Okay, good. Uh, I was thinking, uh, oh, my gosh. Dr. Stressed Out Pope. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, that fits me today very, very much. A lot of things going on in my house and moving furniture and boxes being packed because we're redoing a floor here. So it's uh, it's crazy. As, as you're coming out of this stressful period, do, do you think you're going to miss the stress? Like, are you going to go start doing things like I'm going to redo my hardwood floors, for example, <laughs> as you're coming out? No, I mean, yes, we we did decide to do some projects here as we're coming out. But no, I will not miss the stress. I will not miss the doom scrolling, the constantly updating the New York Times, which I was doing for much of COVID, Mm -hmm. um, trying to get the latest on the disease and the vaccine and politics and race relations. No, I won't. I won't miss that at all. So so now that's good. So that means I can ask you about stress since since you're coming out of it. so if you if you had t- ten minutes to commit to stress reduction, uh, what would you do? How would you how would you do this? So I do a lot of things for stress reduction, Dan. Maybe that's because I'm a very stressed person. I don't know. I I if I had ten minutes, I would either take a quick walk, get outside. But honestly, if I had ten minutes, I would probably meditate, which is something I never used to do. But when I got a concussion two years ago, it was the only thing that would stop the vertigo and the disease feeling and sort of the fuzzy head feeling. And I got into meditation and then I just kept doing it. So 10 minutes for me would probably be instead of going, get my shoes on and change and do sunscreen and all that, because that takes up all that time. I would probably meditate. Wow. I know. So we're going to learn more about this in this show. Yeah, but I want to know what, okay, Dan. Yes, ma'am. I don't think of you as a stressed out person necessarily, but what what, if you are you? Ask my my dentist. Okay, okay. I'll tell you I'm a stressed out person. The teeth grinding. So what you have 10 minutes. What's your go-to? What what happens after the 10 minutes? Like you need to be less stressed. Could I like have a a double scotch in that 10 (laughs) minutes, or is that sort of not fair? It's, um, the, it's the if wrong. that's your coping strategy, oh, it would we be need exercise. to talk about that. Yeah, it, it would but. be exercise. Yeah, it has to be. And uh, ideally, you channel the stress in doing, you know, even more violent exercise, like sprint up a hill. But this is a pure thought experiment because I never have the 10 minutes. So I've never actually found out <laughs> if I would sprint up a hill to get stress reduction. Okay. So yeah, we there's more intervention to be done for sure. For for both of us. I'm glad we have our our guest today. So I'm gonna go ahead and introduce our guest. Um, Emma Seppala is science director of Stanford Center for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education, author of the Happiness Track and a lecturer at the Yale School of Management. And 
Emma's research focuses on well-being, compassion, social connection, complementary and alternative practices, and trauma resilience. And we are so lucky to have Emma here. I know Emma, I know her work, and Emma, welcome to the show. Welcome, Emma. Thank you. It's nice to be here. So, Emma, here's my question to you. Have you seen more stress? Have you seen different coping strategies? What have you seen in terms of mental health during this crazy year of pandemic and race relations and politics and climate changes? What, what are you seeing out there? Fill us in. Well, you know, everybody's been between, behind closed doors, so I haven't physically seen a lot of things, but um, you know, there's two things. I mean, one, we know that the mental health uh, mental health issues have risen over the course of this time, which is not surprising given how important social connections are to our mental health and well-being and, and how, uh, how detrimental loneliness is. Um, but the other thing is, you know, just looking at research on emotion regulation, nobody really knows how to regulate their emotions. I mean, they're rare and far between people who actually know uh, who've learned how to manage their emotions. So it's not a big surprise. There are faculty at Stanford whose whole career is around emotion regulation, and it turns out yep. they're, they're not solving it. They're not figuring it out. I was in that lab as a graduate student, James Gross's lab. <laughs> fantastic. But what I'm saying is that, you know, most people have not learned how to regulate their emotions. We learn, you know, math, we learn reading, we learn writing, we learn critical thinking, we learn coding, we learn all sorts of things. But who's ever taught us how to regulate our emotions, even as children? Our parents didn't know. Our parents couldn't teach us. You know, if you think about it, it's not something that's taught. And then you face, you know, your 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 everyday stresses or your, you know, lifetime big stresses, which we all face. It's a big grief, big loss, big breakup, big, you know, whatever, and uh, big, um, uh, you know, uh, health issues and so forth. But then you, we don't have tools because we haven't learned because no one trained us. If you think about it from that perspective, I mean, uh, it's no wonder that people have been at a loss as to what to do. My God, um, I'm, 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 suddenly, I'm suddenly realizing what a failure as a parent I was. <laughs> you know, no, I, but, uh, but, but do you think that there's also been a lot about sort of positive coping strategies? And mm-hmm. you know, Dan, Dan made a joke about, about scotch and drinking scotch, but I also have heard that like negative coping strategies like turning to alcohol have gone up during this time. Are you seeing that, Emma? I think we're hearing about that. We're also hearing about, um, uh, uh, you know, marital abuse and so forth, and that being triggered by the alcohol. So here's the thing. Most people have not learned how to handle their emotions. So what are, they, like, what are, what are the messages you heard growing up and just, just regular being an adult? What have you heard what you're supposed to do with your big, bad, negative emotions? What are you supposed to do with them? What's like the general message? Suck it up. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, that was that's your right. household. And, you know, that's, no, it you know, wasn't maybe, my household. It wasn't my household. Yeah. But but I think in general you hear, especially sometimes it's this is gendered too. Like little boys, like don't cry, mm-hmm. right? Um, yep. Yep. Move on. Let bygones. You're be okay. Bygone, let bygones be bygones. Yes, you're okay. Yeah. You're okay. Uh, yeah. I, would, I mean, the I other would... day my three-year-old came up and said, you're okay to his big brother. And I said, where'd you learn that? <laughs> I didn't teach you that. You know what I mean? Like you sort of, and it's like what you, what you're feeling doesn't matter. You know, that kind of dismisses it. 
But yeah, I mean, that is, you know, that it, 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 it's not people's fault that they learned this or taught this to their kids, it's that we were never taught what to do. But what the research shows, and this is out of James Gross's lab, is that suppression makes things worse. So let's say you're feeling angry and you suppress it. The anger increases in your body with regards to all of the physiological effects, heart rate, blood pressure, inflammation. No wonder you end up either exploding later or having it come out as passive aggressive quips, which we know are so unpleasant to deal with. Um, or it has health repercussions on you, right? So the, the ironic thing is we learn to suppress to maintain sort of civil relationships with other people. But the research shows that we have worse relationship outcomes when we suppress. So it's not working out for us. And it's not working out for our goals of like good relationships. So, so Emma, we could definitely talk about some tools that work. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be good. I, I need to, uh, some clarity on suppression. So my general approach to emotions is to ignore them. Is that, is that the same thing as yeah. suppression? Yeah, suppression is basically, you know, don't show it on your face, like keep it bottled up inside, just keeping it within and not letting it. Of course, expression is not always optimal. You're not, you don't want to express your full rage to somebody. That's not going to lead to anything good. But <laughs> suppression is basically right. like that suck it up, don't show it, keep it inside, move on. This is Schools In with Denise Pope and Dan Schwartz. We are speaking with Emma Seppelet today about suppressing our emotions and the damage that can do. And Dan, I would say, yeah, ignoring is probably not healthy. I, it, you, you're so not about, dealing with it. How about suppressing like happy emotions? Or So I'm at some event that's sad and somber and I have a happy emotion mm -hmm. and I'm going to suppress that. Is that... Is that, is that okay? Or is that also, it's going to bottle me up and, and I'm going to explode with happiness later? <laughs> That's an empirical question. <laughs> um, <laughs> but maybe one thing we know is we have to act appropriately according to the rules of society. I mean, that's just normal. But what are some ways that we can handle our emotions that are healthier? And, um, and so that, I mean, that's something that we can talk about yeah, let's, Emma, go for it. What's, what's the sort of a top go-to yeah. way that you would tell folks? Because you heard me say meditation. You heard Dan say exercise. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, research, there's so much research on meditation and its impact on uh, well-being, emotional intelligence, happiness, um, stress reduction, self-awareness. I mean, the list goes on. Memory, attention. I mean, really, if you haven't tried it, really, you need to because you could be walking by sort of a gold mine, you know, of, of bringing out the best in yourself as well as um, really strengthening your well-being. Um, in terms of what um, Dan was saying about exercise, that's, of course, has so many benefits. However, when you're doing it in a very stressed state, which I think, Dan, you were mentioning, because stress already heightens your fight or flight in your sort of um, in your cardiovascular, heart rate, blood pressure, everything, if you do a very intense exercise when you are very stressed, there has been research showing that that can really strain your heart and even lead to some, you know, like heart attacks and things like that, which we don't want to, we want to avoid. So exercise, I yes, but when you're highly stressed, maybe choose an exercise that's going to be calming rather than another excitatory sort of exercise like a sprint. I'm, I'm going um, to have to explain this yeah. to to my uh, significant other that if I'm stressed and we exercise, I may explode. Yeah. It may just happen. <laughs> you yeah. may have a heart attack waiting to happen. That's, that's not good. So can, um, yeah. can I, can yeah. I just follow up real quick, Denise? Um, yes. I, I, I was trying to think of things that I do in the moment to regulate my emotions, you know, when they show up count to 10, but meditation and exercise mm. seem like things that are, you do to prepare you so that you will be able to handle the emotions or 
to allow them to mm-hmm. subside, subside. You're sort of out of the situation. And is that so sort of the best way point. to go? Yeah, Dan, so what you're doing when you're doing something like daily meditation or like the research that I've conducted has been on breathing, which we found to be extremely efficient and fast. We could talk about that. But what you're doing is you're sort of building stress resilience. And that's the ideal, right? You want to, we're so used to activating the fight or flight, um, the, the sympathetic nervous system. We're, we're so used to it. And like if we live in Silicon Valley in particular, it's like in the air, it's, there's this sort of belief that in order to get things done, we have to be in this like high adrenaline mode. And actually it's, it's a myth, complete myth actually. Um, but the, the thing is that we've been tra- trained to feel stress. We, we complain about stress, but we also worship at the temple of stress and make sure we're highly caffeinated and that we're, you know, too busy and all that stuff so that we believe that's how we get things done. But the problem is that we've been so in that direction that many, many of us will go home at night and be unable to sleep and be unable to stay calm and feel like they have anxiety, et cetera, et cetera, because we're just way on the spectrum of spending way too much time in sympathetic nervous system activation. So what you want is things that are going to calm you down. So what happens when you meditate every day? What happens if you do things like yoga every day, walks in nature every day, or breathing, like what we've done research on breathing practices? What happens is you're training the other side of the nervous system, the parasympathetic, the calming response, which is where you restore yourself. But as you do that, as you train that calming response, when you hit a stressful event, you're going, it's going to have much less of a stressful impact on you because your nervous system has been trained to be more resilient. This is Schools In with Denise Pope and Dan Schwartz. We are talking with Emma Seppala about dealing with stress and training your body to be better at handling it. And I love that that's one of the benefits of uh, meditation. I, you know, I just, can we talk about meditation for a second and breathing, Emma? Cause I, I put the two together and maybe I shouldn't, but I always thought that it was a little bit hippy dippy or too hard to do, or my mind would wander and like, I don't know, you know, but for some reason, when someone said, you close your eyes, you focus on your breathing. And if your mind wanders, you just bring it back. It's okay. That did it for me. I was like, oh, I'm normal. Like, you know, my mind is wandering and that's normal. And I got to just bring it back Mm -hmm. to thinking about my breathing. So what is the connection there between meditation and some of the breathing work that you've been studying? Yeah, so great. So I'm so glad you found a meditation technique that works for you. And for anyone else who's listening who feels like meditation hasn't worked for me yet, just want you to remember there are many techniques and you just have to find the shoe that fits and there will be a shoe that fits you. So I'm so glad, Denise, that, you, that this technique worked for you with the breath observation. The breathing that uh, studies that we conducted were actually on an active sort of breathing protocol where you're actively changing your breath and in the process, really calming down the nervous system. So we ran one study with veterans with trauma, where you could think of as, you know, the, as an example of a highly stressed, highly anxious population. And after one week of learning this breathing exercises, and these were Many of them had been, you know, uh, had tried other different types of different types of um, therapy and pharmaceuticals for their anxiety had not helped. After one week, their anxiety was normalized. And we this was maintained one month and one year later, which was actually pretty shocking to us as scientists. We were not expecting that. Um, But we we ran another study with undergraduates um, looking at three different well-being interventions, one being an emotional intelligence intervention, one being a mindfulness intervention, and one being a breathing intervention, like we had looked at with vets, called sky breath meditation. And what we found was that in a control group, we found that the, the group that had the most impact on their well-being was, uh, and the sort of resilience, 
was um, the breathing group. And so what we think is happening is, yes, you're accessing this meditative state of mind, but you're also going right into the body, right into physiology and calming it down. And in so doing, your psychological well-being improves. Can we do it? Can we yeah. Do it can you, can you, <clears throat> can you how hard us? is it to teach it to us, Emma? Yeah. So the, if you wanted to learn the sky breath meditation, it's like a whole protocol and you can do that. There's some nonprofits that teach it. Um, oh, one of them is called Art of Living and then a, a nonprofit for veterans called Project Welcome Home Troops. Um, but you can, what I can teach you is a very short practice. So you can sort of yeah. I, I'm a scientist. I have a show me attitude. I don't believe it till I see it. So I, I think you should do the same. Um, so just a quick like little fact is that when you breathe in, your heart rate and blood pressure increase. And when you breathe out, they slow down. They, de- they decrease in, in their rate. So uh, what we're going to do is something so, so simple, which is we're going to breathe in for a certain count. And we're going to breathe out for a time and a half or twice as long as we breathed in. And we're just going to see how we feel before and after. So if you want to just close your eyes for a moment and just first of all, notice where you're at right now and how busy your mind is right now and how, you know, any tension in the body, just taking note of sort of where you're at. And those then what you're going to change Those of you who are drive. Those of you who are driving, please do not do this. Don't close your eyes. Just listen. Just listen. But everyone else, close your eyes. Okay. We got it, Emma. (laughs) And then breathing through the nose, if you can. Breathe in for a count of one, two, three, four. Hold. And breathe out. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Breathe in. Two, three, four. Hold and breathe out. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Breathe in. Long, deep, slow breath. Hold at the top and breathe out. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You want to breathe through your nose one more time. Deep breath in. Two, three, four. Hold and breathe out. Two. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Just notice how you feel any sh- changes or shifts. So I, I think next time I get in an argument with someone, in the middle of the argument, I'm going to say, wait, wait, let's do breathing. <laughs> that is not a bad idea, Dan. Don't I'm you think serious. that would work? That's better than count to 10. <laughs> uh, that, that was really good. Thank you. This- This is Schools In with Denise Pope and Dan Schwartz. We will have more with Emma Seppala about uh, coping strategies and breathing techniques next on SiriusXM. This is Schools In. I'm not an expert at this. I'm more expert than you. When you can't read in American society, you are really left out. With Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope from the campus of Stanford University. Welcome back to Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. We are talking with Emma Seppala, who is an expert on all things stress, compassion, mindfulness, meditation. We uh, did a practice breathing exercise that I found so helpful. And a part of me is just wondering what you think, Emma, about the importance of teaching this in a school environment, whether that's a K-12 or college environment. A lot of teachers I talk to are resistant because it takes time or they don't practice it themselves or maybe they don't believe in it or sometimes it's considered hippy-dippy, right? So um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, lots of thoughts. You know, as we were mentioning earlier, you know, we learned a lot of things in school, but we didn't learn how to manage our own mind, our own emotions. We go out in the world, we're skilled in different things, but we don't know how to handle crises. We don't know how to handle difficult moments. We don't know, we don't have the emotional intelligence we could have if we'd received training. 
So, yes. Would it take some time to teach, you know, some breathing, some meditation, um, some skills out in classrooms? Yes. But would it be worth it? 100%. The kids are going to be able to focus better. Their attention and memory will be better. Their behavior will be better. They'll have coping strategies for how to handle their own stress so they can show up at their best self. So absolutely. And teachers are an extremely stressed population. They have so many demands on them and are also very pressed for time. There is no doubt about it. And yet, if schools were to make this a thing, you know, that there is just this moment during the day when the teachers can do the self-care, whatever it is they choose, it's kind of nice to have a menu. You know, there, there's these five things that we know back from research. And so, again, this addresses the hippy-dippy thing is backed by research. We know that these tools help breathing, meditation, etc. right? And so it's like, choose the one you want. You're going to spend 20 minutes, half an hour doing it every morning, you know. And then so there, in college, I mean, that's, yeah. No, there's there's nice research about kids coming back off the playground, and if you spend a little time on mindfulness, which is you know a close friend or one of the strategies, that they actually do better in school. You know, a chance to reset, exactly. recollect themselves. Yeah. Can you just because this has come up, and this has come up a couple of times. What is the difference between mindfulness meditation and breathing exercises? No, I mean meditation is, I would say, a broad overarching category. There are many, many different types of meditation. So there's mindfulness is one that's become very popular because a lot of researchers have studied that particular technique, but there are many other techniques. You know, there's the mantra techniques, which work better for some people. There is a loving kindness meditation, compassion practices. Um, you could go out in nature and just have your eyes open and just be with nature. I mean, there are many, many ways. And I think that's really can help people because, you know, if you start with one practice and it doesn't work for you, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. As a student on multiple campuses, I should say, I just heard so often about students that were extremely unhappy, had mental health issues, and, you know, sometimes did the worst thing they could do to themselves, right? So I was wondering, what is it that's going on? And if you look, there's been a mental health crisis on college campuses for the last 10 years, a steep decline. College campuses are scrambling to, to meet the demand. And um, adding more and more psychological services. And the question is, wait, wait, wait. You know, we, you, college campuses can't afford to keep adding more psychological services. What if we also added some kind of preventative education and gave students some tools so that those who actually really need the psychiatric psychological services can have them, but the others who just needed to learn how to manage their emotions have received that training, have received that wonderful education that will serve them for the rest of their life. So that's why we ran the study with college students, you know, because it's it's actually even financially more viable for colleges to hire some lecturers to teach some of these skills, you know, uh, rather than keep adding and adding to uh, to counseling services, which is not sustainable. I think you're right. I'm glad to hear that. And I and, you know, you mentioned Silicon Valley and I think um, K-12 education right now in certain sectors of the country is so stressful. It's it's, um, you know, it's all about getting the grades and the test scores and getting into college. And I think what what is hard is it, this notion of success tied to the busyness, tied to the stress. So what you're saying is actually right. very countercultural. You know, Silicon Valley, run fast and break things or what I think that's a mantra of somebody's right. here. So how do you how do you kind of fight that that culture? You can run fast and break things and then burn yourself out and then look back on your life and wonder what the heck happened, or you can approach things sustainably. There is a way to be highly successful in a way that's sustainable, and that involves taking care of yourself, taking care of your mind, taking care of your body, so that when you show up, 
You actually are charismatic in your relationships with others. Your focus is laser sharp when you sit at the computer. So something that could have otherwise, when you were tired, burned out, and on your fifth cup of coffee would have taken you five hours to do, you get it done in 20 minutes. And there's so much research to show that we're more, when we are in a calmer state of mind, we're more creative, we make better decisions, we're more emotionally intelligent, our memory is better, our focus is better. I mean, the list goes on. And innovation, which is a key thing in Silicon Valley, you can't be innovative when you're stressed. The brain doesn't work that way. We get our most innovative ideas when our mind is in alpha wave mode, which is what which is when you are idle, when you are relaxing, when you're in the shower, when you take a walk. That's when you get your innovative ideas, not when you're stressing, sweating at your computer. I'm not, I'm not sure I agree with that, but we'll, I'll, get my, I'll get my chance. This is Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. We are talking with Emma Seppala about all the benefits of uh, breathing, mindfulness, meditation, slowing down. Dan's going to disagree. Well, no, I, I just, I, I actually find myself at the most innovative when someone has presented kind of an argument towards me and I have to defend myself, I'm really creative. For creativity, yeah. you need a frame. And so you're, what you're presenting is you have a frame that you're working with. You're, you're working with a certain argument. But anyway, I'm just sharing the research on, on when it. people are most likely to come up with aha moments in the brain. And actually, Emma, you cited something that Dan actually himself studied, which is walking and creativity go together. So he mm. may disagree on some point, but he absolutely agrees with you on that point. I agree on many things, but... <laughs> uh, I have to do this. So we've had guests on this show who view stress as good. And they, their, their mm -hmm. argument is you just need to channel it. For example, you, know, right. you might have stress before giving a public speech, and that stress can put you on your game. So before right. we challenge that claim, I just want to ask Denise, if you had 10 minutes to increase your stress, what would you do? Like, do you have anti-meditation? Yeah. Uh, I would, you know, take my mask off and go inside and eat in a restaurant right now. That would really increase my stress. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to uh, do it anytime soon. Good call. That was good. <laughs> so you want Emma to weigh in on positive stress? Is there yeah. such a thing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we all know from Robert Sapolsky's wonderful research. I love the one thing that he says, which is... Um, you know, we're only supposed to feel stress five minutes in our life right before we die. The idea being that the stress is here to help you save your life, you know, um, and, and maybe get you out of that, that situation that you need, you know, that's life-threatening for you. And in that moment, your whole body, your body focuses, you get really strong, your immune system strengthens, and you can save your life. But if it's chronic, then it's problematic because you do burn out. And, and human, for human beings, it's chronic. It's not five minutes, right? So, so that's problematic. In terms of like, yeah, you have to perform, you have to do something, the stress increases, that's normal. I mean, it's normal to get acute stress. Um, and it can be helpful. And for, for some people, that's helpful. Um, and, but what I'm suggesting is two things. One, you can build your stress resilience so that the uh, stress response is not as high. You can do that by doing daily breathing, meditation, walks in nature, etc. Um, but the other thing is that if you want to make sure stress is not prolonged because then you're burning yourself out and you're not going to show up as well as you could on that stage. Well, Emma, thank you so much. This has <laughs> so, been so informative yeah. and um, we will go out and practice our breathing. And I want to thank all of you for listening to Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. If you missed any of this episode, listen anytime on demand with the SiriusXM app and anywhere you listen to podcasts.
from the campus of Stanford University. This has been Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope on Sirius XM Business Radio. If you missed any of it, listen on demand, online, or with the Sirius XM app. 